Ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Dear God, thank you for what a, what a great God you are, and thank you, Father, for how you have, you, have, you have guided us as a church. You have blessed us every step of the way, and Father, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for how we've seen your hand at work and how you've led us to this point that we're seeing now even phase two coming up out of the ground and and uh, walls going up, and it's exciting, Lord. And so we just, uh, we want to just ask you to continue to bless this step of faith for us as a church. And we know a part of that's next weekend special offering, and that uh, the funds can be made available so that we can furnish uh, this new building and some of the renovation in this building so that we can continue to pour into the lives of children and students in the most effective way. And so I just pray, Father, that you will be at work in all of our hearts and lead all of us to see how we might participate in that. And we pray, Father, that you'll be honored in everything that happens. We pray now that you'll uh, just open our hearts to your word as we read uh, from it. And I pray that you'll guide me and grant me the wisdom to know how to share and what to share in such a way that uh, uh, this message will speak to every person. And I pray, Father, also for our children and student uh, classes that, that you'll be at work there powerfully. So we thank you for this time and we just commit it to you. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our students, sixth through 12th graders. We have a class for you over at the YMCA and uh, you can be making your way now. And for the rest of us, we're going to continue a series of messages that we've been looking at about, we've been talking about experiencing that more abundant life in Christ. And we've been talking about, as we long to experience that more abundant life in Christ, what does it mean uh, for us to respond to God's calling in our life? And uh, last week, uh, we talked about, in the last two weeks, we've talked about that unique calling that God has for us in our, our lives. And as we shared last week, this unique calling is discovered as we're first obedient to the common calling, okay? And for us as a church, we've identified for some time now our common calling is to be a church that's serious about following Jesus and making disciples. And we're committed to doing that in our current setting here in Southwest Ohio. Now, last weekend, we looked at uh, the unique mission of an early follower of Jesus, a guy named Barnabas. Now, we've talked about uh, throughout this series, we've got these three uh, large small words. Uh, that's kind of oxymoron there, okay? They're, they're small words, but they're blown up big, okay? Anyway, so um, we've talked about the, the words be, do, and go. And so we talked last week about how that Barnabas uh, had this unique identity that he was an encourager. In fact, he was such an encouraging guy uh, that that was his nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And then last week, we talked about how that God used that uh, 
that unique identity in Barnabas's life to do some think, pretty significant things in the early church. He came alongside some, some uh, s- other significant leaders, and he encouraged them at just the right time, and that that was what God called him to do in a unique way in his life. Well, this weekend, we're going to be looking at another fascinating individual in the Bible to help emphasize that we're all called to go. We're all called to go into our world and into our realms of influence to make a difference. And sometimes the Lord's going to put on our heart a calling to to go into maybe a new arena uh, of influence and and to take on a new challenge. And this weekend, we're going to look at a guy who, uh, who lived actually before Jesus Christ, and yet uh, his name is often mentioned when we talk about Jesus because he did a lot of prophecies that foretold and foretold of Jesus coming. And we're going to look at a guy named Isaiah. Okay, so a guy named Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus Christ walked on the earth. And yet, I think that we can learn a lot about this idea of our unique mission from Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles or you have a Bible app, uh, turn to Isaiah, and specifically Isaiah chapter 6, and let's read Isaiah's calling. In verse 1, it says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Wow, I mean, you talk about an introduction to a calling. This is, this is very phenomenal, this, uh, this powerful display of Isaiah seeing God uh, displayed in all of his glory and all of his power. And, and it's a very timely for us to read this passage as, as Isaiah received his calling during a transition of power, uh, a transition of power in the Jewish nation uh, that he was prophesying, the the longtime King Isaiah had di- just died, and during this time of transition, there was this sense of uneasiness and uncertainty, and yet Isaiah says everything came into focus when he lifts his eyes to see that God continues to be seated on his throne in heaven. This past week, as, as we all know, there was a national election. And by the way, I just, just want to mention, um, I'm, I'm really grateful for all of you who volunteered, whether it be you brought in baked goods or maybe you, uh, you, know, you volunteered as a host uh, there were three precincts that voted in this room. It would, looked a lot different. Okay, we had all the chairs taken down and we had uh, three precincts. But, but throughout the day, there was tremendous hospitality. 
from the Southwest Church. And we got so many good comments. It was so encouraging. In fact, just to let you know, the poll workers fight over being able to work this precinct, okay? Because it's here they get free goodies all day, okay? So, so thank you for, for being that kind of people that showed that kind of hospitality. And I was just hoping that maybe in just a, a small way that we brought a sense of peace uh, to that day for some people that were here voting. Now, now, regardless of your political persuasion or your personal opinions, uh, you know, we, we've seen mixed reactions this week, right? Some people have been celebrating the result of the elections. Others, there's been anger and, and frustration. But I think that probably for all of us could admit that it's a time of transition in our nation, and you can sense that. You can sense some uneasiness and uncertainty. Well, that was the case in Isaiah's day. When King Isaiah died, there was an uncertainty and uneasiness. And in the midst of that transition, Isaiah sees the Lord Almighty. And he's reminded, and as we read this calling, we're reminded that that regardless of who is in power on earth, that our confidence is to be secure and that the Lord continues to be on the throne in heaven. And whatever happens here on earth, the Lord isn't surprised. The Lord isn't shook up. He continues to reign And because of that, his people can have confidence to continue to live out their faith and live out their calling from him in this world. And we're to keep our focus on him regardless of what happens in our world, in our nation, and in our personal lives. We're called not to be impressed with ourselves, not to be impressed with human leaders, to be, but to be impressed with the greatness and holiness of God that is so awesome that even the angelic beings that surrounded the throne, and by the way, that's what seraphim are. If some of you are searching Google, what's, you know, what's seraphim? Okay, those are angelic beings. And, and, and it says that, that, they, that they were so in awe of God's presence that two wings covered their faces. It's like His brilliance was so great they couldn't hardly even stand it. But there's another aspect of this. It says that their two wings cover their feet. It's it's even though it's this, this awe and this holy fear of who God is, and yet they're not fleeing from him. It's not a fear of being afraid. So they're hiding their feet. They're not gonna run from his presence. And there, the other two wings there, and so that's six in case you've lost track, but the other two wings, they're, they're flying around and they're saying, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. I shared a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, when I got back from El Salvador, you know, when the, when the Spanish-speaking people were singing and they were, they were singing, santos, santos, santos. I thought, okay, that's holy, holy, holy. I thought, I think I know what they're singing right now. And just think about that someday, hearing all the different languages of the world. And maybe, you know, in El Salvador, they told me that in heaven we're gonna be speaking Spanish because that's God's language. I don't know if that's true or not. 
But whatever, if it's, if it's just one language that we all understand, if we hear all the languages at one time, it's going to be awesome to be in God's presence. But that's the vision that Isaiah sees as he receives his calling, that he has been invited to calling from the Lord God Almighty. And it's in this context of God revealing his greatness, his holiness, his sovereignty to Isaiah, that he would be inspired to find God's calling in his life. And likewise, we hope during this series, you've been inspired to have the courage to know, and if you're taking notes, that's our first point, the courage to know God's calling in your life. Let's look at Isaiah's immediate response to this vision of God Almighty. In verse 5, as the New International Version reads, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." You know, as we read Isaiah's response, it's a typical response found in Scripture when an individual comes face to face with the greatness of God. Think about how often that's the case as you go through Scripture. Let me just mention a few. We've got Isaiah here. Remember Moses when he received his calling to go to to Egypt and, and lead the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage? Does anybody remember the the circumstances of when he received his calling, what did he see? He saw what? Are you awake? A burning bush, right? And in that, he was so in awe of this bush that was burning but wouldn't burn up, and and he he heard a voice that he was on holy ground. He took off his sandals, and he knelt, and then he received the calling from God, and and, and what did Moses say? "I, I, I can't do that. I can't speak. In fact, uh, the Lord gets a little frustrated with Moses there, if you go back and read that. And and finally, Moses said, would you just send somebody else? But no, it it was God's calling for Moses, and Moses eventually accepted that call. But he was humbled by the calling he received. Think about Simon Peter when Jesus called him to follow him. And and do you remember that scene when they're in the boat and they're fishing and and, and they throw out the net and they catch so many fish and it's this miraculous catch. And and some of us would be tempted to think, Peter would think, man, I've got the fishing partner of all times. But but instead, how he responded is he got down on his knees and he said, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. You see, I believe when we really come face to face and when we really can get a glimpse of how great and holy and awesome God is, it truly is humbling. And yet in that in that spirit of humility, let's not shrink back from the calling that God has in our lives. Yes, it might be intimidating, but But the truth of it is, if God calls you to it, you can do it, okay? Let's remember that this this passage that we're we're looking at 
is throughout this series, a kind of a foundational passage throughout this series is Ephesians 2 verse 10. It's not in your message notes, but I think it's going to flash up on the screen that, that for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Our hope during this entire series is to help every individual at Southwest recognize that God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life and that he has brought you to be a part of this body of believers to utilize the gifts, the talents, the, the, the experiences, the personality that he has given you so that you can make a difference in the life of this church and so that you can make a difference as we all link arm in arms in this world. Now, to illustrate this, I want to share with you an individual here at Southwest who has shared with me how this series has, has spoken to them. In fact, they sent me an email this week, and I wanted to share it with you. I asked for permission, and they gave it to me. But, uh, and by the way, isn't it encouraging to see how many uh, people have participated in bringing supplies and and gifts for our military personnel. I don't know when you walked in, if you saw all those boxes out there, it's just so encouraging. And and you might say, well, that was really, you know, that was really good that the church thought of that in the holidays to make sure that not just Operation Christmas Child, but that we send some gifts to military individuals. And, And I think it is a good thing to do, but what I want you to know that this really came as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, inspiration from an individual here at Southwest that has a real burden on her heart uh, to be an encouragement to military men and women throughout the world, especially during the holidays. And that's Amy Phillips. And I appreciate Amy and her willingness to step up and say, hey, can we make a difference? And um, so she sent me this email this week and gave me permission to read it. And I'm not going to read the entire email. It's very encouraging. But I want to read... Uh, a specific section that I thought was really appropriate as we talk about, do we have the courage to know what God's called us to do? And are we, are, are, are we going to shrink back like, you know, like Moses was tempted to shrink back or like Peter was, or are we going to accept the call? And listen to what Amy said. She says, my whole life, I've been frustrated by not feeling any spe- specific calling. I began to believe I didn't have any special or unique gifts. I think that the privilege of giving back to veterans has changed that for me. While some people are blessed with specific trait that is very outstanding, like a great singing voice, the ability to teach or preach, etc., I learned that sometimes your gift is taking the small things you do have and, and doing outstanding things with them. While I may never be a preacher or a great leader, I can still do great things with my words by using them to encourage others. I might not be called to become a missionary that packs up and moves to a third world country, but I can still impact people in a third world country from right here by sending notes of encouragement, my prayers, and my resources in their time of need. We see this in the Bible where Jesus' disciples sent letters to distant places to encourage others in their faith and daily walks of life. And yet it never occurred to me that this was something I could also do and be part of. I am so in awe of those that serve 
They feel a need in a way that I never could. In all humility, no one would benefit from me enlisting. I would be more of a liability than an asset. And I tried to imagine Amy in army boots. I just was having a hard time seeing that. But anyways, she says that. She goes on, she says, it's best to leave that to those that are brave and fierce and steadfast in the face of danger and uncertainty. But I've learned to not lose heart by the fact that I cannot fill those shoes. I might not be the warrior, but I can be the one that when the warrior's down, picks him up, dusts him off, gives him a pep talk, and inspires him to go back into the battlefield, to be an inspiration to remind him or her why they fight and, and be worth fighting for. I've learned that the importance and the need of the supporter and encourager cannot be overstated. So she says, I would, and she puts in quotation marks, encourage anyone struggling to find their gift to start there. Find a cause that inspires and burdens your heart. I like that. And then she goes on. She says, I think I've found my sweet spot. I'm called to be an encourager. Have you found your sweet spot? And do you have the courage to to know what God's called you to? And for those of you who say, well, I'm, I'm not mature enough in my faith or I'm not strong enough or I'm too weak or too young or, or too sinful to be used by God, let's remember that it's only by grace that any one of us are made right with God. And it's by His grace that He shapes us into the masterpiece that He has planned for long ago. So here's the question for each and every one of us. Are you, am I, willing to have the courage? Are you willing to have the courage to know yourself and how God has uniquely shaped you and the calling He has for your life? Longtime seminary professor Howard Hendricks, which is, to my knowledge, no relation to me, is attributed to saying to his students as they were preparing to go into ministry, my fear is not that you would fail, but that you would succeed in doing the wrong thing. You see, we have to have the courage to know ourselves and to ask ourselves, what is it that truly God is calling me to? Benjamin Franklin is is credited with the following quote, there are three things extremely hard, steel, a diamond, and to know oneself. And here's the question, are you willing to do the hard work to get to know how God has shaped you? This week, the, the scheduled discussion for our small groups this week in our small group series that we're meeting and going through this workbook together as a church, we're going to encourage everyone to do the hard work of examining their personal values, their natural roles, their preferred work environments, the rhythms of their life, to determine where you can most effectively serve in this world and in the church. Now, the reality is that, uh, that there might be a number of ways that you and I can serve. And yet the question that we need to continue to ask ourselves and pray about is, are we willing to do the hard work to determine the best place for us to serve? Now, as we enter into the arena of discovering service, we'll begin to have the confidence to to grow and and we'll we'll gain this by 
the experience, and this, if you're taking notes, the second point, the experience to grow. And sometimes as you launch into this, you'll make some mistakes and, and you'll fall short, but that's okay because remember, this is a calling of grace. In fact, let's read about that in Isaiah's life. In Isaiah 6, verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. The Lord's saying to Isaiah, listen, I know you're not perfect. I know you've got flaws. I know you've got weaknesses. I know you've got sin, but I'm willing to forgive that. I'm willing to forgive your past and empower you to live in the present and accept my calling for the future. The Lord brought mercy and forgiveness into his life. And in turn, Isaiah found the confidence to speak God's word and ultimately, God's hope into the lives of others. Now, it's important for us to understand, and we don't have time to unpack all the, uh, all the nuances of Isaiah's calling, but Isaiah was called to a tough mission. He was called to, to preach to a people that had rejected God and God knew would continue to reject them, but God was giving them every, every opportunity. It was not an easy calling. But Isaiah was willing to embrace it. Now, we don't have time today, but in your notes, you'll see a section of Scripture from Galatians where Paul talks about how that he received a calling, the Apostle Paul. But to prepare him for that calling, it says that he spent some time in the desert. God used some desert time in Paul's life to prepare him for that calling that God had in mind for him. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the Lord will use years in the desert to help someone be an overnight success? Sometimes it takes years of hardship and challenge and trials, and yet God is using that to shape that person for a calling that God had, had planned all along. You know, I love that quote from Rick Warren, God never wastes a hurt. I believe that's true. God never wastes a hurt. And when we go through hardship, when we go through difficult times in our life, maybe some of you are going through a difficult time right now. Have you ever thought that maybe God's using this? I'm not saying God caused it, but I'm saying maybe God will work through this and use this difficult time as an experience to shape you, mold you, and to prepare you to a calling he has in store for you. I have a friend that serves in a church in an urban area of Dayton, East Dayton. His name's Scott Van Dyke. Scott has spoken here before, and he's been a friend of uh, us as a church since our very beginning. But Scott has served this church for years and years, and during that time, uh, the community around his the church building there has, has drastically changed. And that, that community's gone through some difficult times. And, and unfortunately, sometimes when that happens to churches, the, the people just can't, they'll, either, they'll even move the church building, okay, to not have to deal with some of the hardship that's going on right around them. But, but I, I love Scott, 
and, and the church there because they said, no, if the community around us has changed, then our mission is going to change. And so they've embraced that because there's a lot of, of hurting people around their church building, there's people that, that have a lot of resource challenges need, they've just said, okay, we're going to go into the arena that, that we feel like God's called us and we're going to make a difference. And so we've got a video, and, and I've got a final point after this, but, but let's watch this video as we listen to Scott share how God's used even some tough times in that community around him and how it's become a mission for them. The mission of the East Dayton Christian Church food pantry is very simple. We love people by building relationships with them. And in doing so, we show people Jesus. So basically, when you volunteer to be a helper at uh, the East Dayton Christian Church Food Pantry, you're volunteering to love people. You're volunteering to be Jesus for people. You know, Matthew chapter 25 tells us that the people that we serve are Jesus, but also tells us that we're to be Jesus for those who are hungry, those who are naked, those who are in prison. So we see an opportunity to be Jesus to people. When Patty began to come to our food pantry, Patty was stage four cancer. And uh, she came to our food pantry, eventually started coming to our worship services. And everybody got to not only know Patty, but to love Patty. Patty had never formally accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. She'd never been baptized. Weekend, um, we got a phone call from her daughter saying that she had taken a turn for the worse and Patty was now in hospice. So Sunday afternoon, I, I go to hospice to see Patty, and as I'm there, she at this stage was very weak, uh, not able to speak much. And I just shared with her, I said, Patty, I'm sorry we weren't able to get the baptism done. And uh, she had this real look of pain on her face and looked at her daughter and whispered something to her daughter. And her daughter told me, she said, you know, she really was counting on doing this because she wants to make sure that she's given her life to Jesus. And I said, well, let me see what I can do. Another nurse there who happens to be a volunteer at our food pantry was working. Um, and so I went up to Teresa and I told Teresa that Patty was there and told Teresa, is there anything we can do? And Teresa said, well, let me see what I can do. And Teresa was great. And the whole staff at hospice was great. And after some conversing, they came to me and said, we think we figured out a way. So they wheeled in a bath bed, they call it. It's basically a, a bed on a kind of a, 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 a rigging that allows it to go up and down. They brought it in. It took about a half an hour to get Patty ready. And they got her on the bath bed. And, and, and they were wheeling her down the hallway. And her family and I were following. And they wheeled her into a special room where they had prepared a bath there for her. And using this special rigging, had lowered her down into the water. And while she was in the water there, everything was out of the water except for her, her shoulders and her head. And I just prayed with her. And again, she's kind of in and out of consciousness at this point. But I prayed with her, and, and I just asked her to make a confession. And she was able to mouth the words, I love Jesus. And we were able to take her down in the water and baptize her. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. And 
I, I was reminded of the passage at that point where friends lowered a, a, a sick man down just to be in front of Jesus. And I realized that that's really what we do in our outreach in our food pantry. We're simply bringing people and putting them before Jesus by what we do and letting Jesus transform lives. He transformed Patty's life. And really, that was, that was a day that, through the ministry of the, the food pantry, my life was transformed by being a part of it. I'm inspired by Scott's willingness to say, if this is the calling that God's called me, then I'm going to throw myself into it. And I'm going to pour myself into the people's lives around. And because of that, they're making a real impact in their community. What's God calling you? Where's God calling you to go? In what arenas? In what ways to serve? So that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Our final point is not only was Isaiah willing to have the courage to know, and, and, and not only was he willing to experience to grow and allow God's grace to grow him, but he also was willing to take the risk to go. I love Isaiah's response to God's calling in his life. As Isaiah recognized the greatness of God, his own unworthiness, and yet he came to see through God's mercy and grace that, that God had a plan for his life. And it was in this context that we read Isaiah's, Isaiah's unique calling and his response. And, and in verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You know, some of us naturally have a risk aversion. You know, the truth of it is that if, if it's a worthy calling, there's gonna be some risk. And that's where faith enters in to say, listen, by faith, I'm willing to embrace the risk because I feel like God's calling me to go into this arena. And I'm willing to face the risk and by faith, embrace the risk so that I can have that same spirit of Isaiah that says, here am I, Lord, send me. You know, this past month as a church marked our 19th anniversary as a church. And as I look back in our history as a church, it appears to me that every big step we've taken as a church, it's involved risk. You know, when it started with 13 uh, adults meeting in a home, it took a risk to go out and get a personal loan and say, let's, let's start a church. And then in 1999, it was a big risk for a relatively small group of people to strike a, a partnership with the YMCA so that we could have a place to meet in Springboro. And yet we embraced that risk and God blessed it. And then, you know, about five years ago, we, we took out that million dollar loan so that we could get into this building. And, and that was a risk, but yet God's blessed it. We've taken another risk to do phase two, but, but it seems to me as I look over the history of this church that God honors over and over again those that are willing to embrace the risk and say, here am I, Lord, send me. How about you? Are you willing to embrace God's calling in your life even if it means some risk? 
Are you willing to embrace by faith the risk ahead to say, if that's what God calls me to do, I'm gonna venture into it. I'm gonna go and do what God's called me to do. You know, we see this inspiring response by Isaiah. But as we keep reading in the book of Isaiah, he points to the one that we follow, and that's Jesus Christ. And toward the end of of Isaiah's book, he, he talks about one who was willing to take great risk to leave heaven, to come to earth, so that we could have a relationship with God, and that's God's son, Jesus Christ. Listen to this description that Isaiah paints of Jesus. And let's use this as an inspiration for us as as we look at what Jesus was willing to endure, the risk that he was willing to embrace so that we could have a relationship with the Father, so that he would answer the Father's call in his life. And let's realize that at times there'll be sacrifice and risk on our part. But let's allow this reading to motivate us, but also make us grateful that Jesus answered the Father's call. In Isaiah 53, verse two, Isaiah describes uh, Jesus this way. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah says, there's gonna be one that comes. And of course, we know he did come. And he was willing to endure great risk. He was willing to endure rejection and suffering Why? Because that was the Father's calling in his life. And he also knew that was the way that we could come into relationship with the Father. So during this time of communion, let's be grateful for what Jesus was willing to endure so that we could be right with the Father, so that we could have that peace and forgiveness and grace. But also, let's allow this time to be a time for us to examine our own hearts and our lives and say, am I being faithful to be and do and go where God's calling me? Or am I shrinking back because, well, it's just too costly or it's too risky? Let's be grateful. Jesus embraced that risk. And let's give him thanks now. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for what Jesus did by answering a call of leaving heaven and coming to this earth and going to the cross, enduring rejection and suffering. And he did all that, Father, so that we could be forgiven and have peace with you and peace eternally. 
Fill our hearts with gratitude for what he endured for us. But we pray, Father, that we'll be inspired by his faithfulness to be faithful to your calling in our life. It's in Jesus we pray.